I'm sure a few of you caught what happened just a little bit ago when we were reading the gospel. For those of us that are steeped in uh, the traditions of the Lutheran church, uh, we understand that the gospels are generally read from the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four books of the Bible that are dedicated to the life and the ministry of Jesus as he walked on this earth. But we just read a Bible reading from the book of Acts, which is not a, one of those gospels. But we identified it as the gospel. Now, I've got to tell you, there's a, a method to my madness in doing that. All right? Today is Ascension Day. Uh, actually, Ascension was on Thursday, but today is the Sunday that we are remembering the Ascension. And we talked about the Ascension a few weeks ago, the week after Easter, as we were going through the second article of the Apostles' Creed. And in that um, sermon, we talked a little bit about the fact that we are linked to every aspect of Christ's life and ministry here on this earth. He lived a perfect life so that you and I might have an atoning sacrifice that's sufficient for us. When you and I were baptized, our old Adam, our sinful self, was buried with Christ, drowned and killed. So we're identified with Christ's death in baptism. But a new creation, a new creature has been risen and raised from bapt in baptism. And so then you and I are also linked with his resurrection. And in our baptism, you and I have been declared by God the Father, this is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter. We've been declared to be children of God. So in our baptism, we are also linked with Christ's ascension. We are no longer citizens of this earth. We are residents of heaven. That's where our inheritance lies, and that's where our future reality lies. We're just on a journey here, wandering in the wilderness, until that day when we get to go to be home with our Lord. The Lutheran hymn says it this way, I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you get to the end of every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as Jesus is finishing up his ministry here on this earth, he always has this commission or mission uh, for his people. He says in Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. In Mark, he says, go and share the good news with all creation. Go into the world and share the good news, the gospel in all of creation. He tells us in Luke, after he has risen from the dead, he says to his followers, you are witnesses to these things. And then in John, on Easter evening, he appears behind locked doors in this room with his disciples, and he looks at them and he says, peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So in every one of the Gospels, he tells us that he's going to be leaving this earth, but the work of the Gospel is to continue, and he entrusts that work in the, to his disciples, to his followers. And then in Acts, the Gospel story continues. Jesus, on Ascension Day, takes his followers up on a mount called Olivet, and he looks at them and he says, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, uh, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The gospel 
message goes on. So today, we were talking a little bit about Acts 17. That's where our Bible, our gospel reading comes from. And we see that this gospel work is continuing on as Paul goes on a second journey. I've got a map up here that gives us a little bit of a glimpse of, of what's going on in the life of, of Paul. He's going on a second mission trip. All right? He begins in a city called uh, Antioch. You see it on the right-hand side, right above the word Syria. All right? It's got a star there because that was Paul's hometown church, okay? The church that supported him, all right? And he takes off from that spot with a, a guy by the name of Silas, and he, he heads into uh, what we now know as Asia Minor, which is in the boundaries of a, of a country called Turkey. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Turkey today. There are 80 million people that live in Turkey, 80 million. Of those 80 million, at the beginning of this year, they estimated about 187,000 of them are Christians. Not very many. But persecution has been rampant there. Radical Islam, political persecution. And now they estimate that there are less than 60,000 Christians in this country of eight, eight, 80 million. In a few weeks, on June 11th, I'm telling you this now so you can plan your wardrobe. Okay, we're going to be commemorating Orange Sunday again. And we're going to be praying for persecuted Christians around the world. Turkey is rated number 37 on the top 100 countries that are facing persecution against Christians. And we're going to be praying for Turkey along with all the other places in the world where Christians are persecuted. But in Paul's day, Asia Minor was ripe for the picking. All right, And so he goes up to his hometown, Tarsus, you see, and if you follow along, he goes to cities like Derby and Lystra and Iconium and another city by the name of Antioch. These are all cities that he went and visited the first time. And he was going to check to see how these churches that he started were, were doing. And then in Lystra, when he gets there, he picks up another companion, a young man by the name of Timothy. And so then from Antioch, Paul and Silas and Timothy are heading up they are, are prompted by the Holy Spirit in a vision to go up to Macedonia. So you see that way over there, north of Greece. And this is new territory for Paul. And it's not an easy journey. He gets to a city by the name of Philippi, and when he gets there, he and Silas are, are beaten and thrown into jail. Why? Because they encountered this, this slave girl who had a demon within her, and this demon enabled her to foretell the future. Her owners made a great deal of money by her foretelling people's future. Paul and Silas drove out that demon. It cut into the pocketbook and the income of her owners, and they got angry, and so they had them beaten and thrown into jail. But by God's miracle, they were released. They went on to another city by the name of Thessalonica, when they got to Thessalonica, this time it was the Jews that didn't like what was going on. Because God was using Paul and Silas and Timothy to bring people to the faith. And people were converting to Christianity right and left. And they got angry and upset, so they incited a riot. And Paul and Silas and Timothy had to be snuck out of town late in the evening in the, under cover of darkness. 
And they were taken to a place called Berea. They get to Berea, and once again they go to the synagogues. And once again, people were coming to the faith. Jews, prominent Greeks, and men and women. And the people back in Thessalonica got word of this. They sent people 50 miles to Berea to cause more trouble for Paul and Silas. This time, as Paul was leaving under a cover of, of secrecy once again, he left Silas and Timothy behind and said, come and meet with me. And as, uh, as soon as you can. And, and then when they get to, he gets to Athens, he's all by himself. He gets to the city of Athens. And it must have been really, really strange to see what he saw when he got to Athens. One writer described it this way. Supposing Paul arrived by ship, he would have landed at Piraeus and would have gone north from the harbor and entered Athens by the double gate on the west side of the city, where four highways converged. Passing through the gates, Paul would have seen the temple of Demeter with statues of the goddess and her daughter. A little farther on, he would have passed by the statue of Poseidon, hurling his trident. Beyond this, he would have seen the statues of healing Athena, Zeus, Apollo, and Hermes, standing near the sanctuary of Dionysus. Assuming that Paul also explored the city, he would have seen the royal colonnade, the metroum, or the sanctuary of the mother of gods with her image. In the agora, the central market, he would have seen the altar of mercy, and which stood in the grove of laurels and olives. Nearby was a stone statue of Hermes and the bronze statue of Ptolemy. And, on, and in the city were other temples and sanctuaries to a whole host of gods and goddesses. There was an ancient proverb that said, there were more gods in Athens than there were men. Every street corner, every niche and nook was filled with an, an altar or some sort of statue to a god. They were told that on, on every street corner there was a, a, a bust of, of the god Hermes. And every courtyard had, um, of every home had an altar or a statue there. And we're told in our gospel reading that we read earlier that Paul was distressed. He wasn't distressed because he was all by himself. He wasn't distressed because he was afraid that he was going to run into more trouble and persecution. He was distressed because every place he turned, everywhere he went, all he saw was idols, idols everywhere. And Paul was distressed. And in his distress, he was moved to action. And you know what he did? He went to their worship places. He went to the synagogues where the Jews were meeting to worship God. And there he shared the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death and his resurrection. But not only that, but he went to the Agora, the Agora, the Agora, which was the marketplace. The marketplace? Why would he go there? Well, it helps us to understand that the marketplace in Athens was a whole lot different than going to, uh, I don't know, Colorado Mills. Nobody goes there right now, do they, after all the hail damage? 
It's not like going to Flatirons Mall because the marketplace in Athens was a whole lot different than just going to a place where money was exchanged for goods and goods were exchanged for goods. This was a place where life happened. This was a place where there was an exchange of ideas and philosophies and religious thought. This was a place where the arts were prevalent, where drama and art and everything was available. This is where justice was served, where court was held. When you went to the marketplace in Athens, it was where life happened. One author said it was kind of like taking Hollywood and bringing in Harvard and the New York Times and mixing them all together and putting them in one place. This is where the people hung out. And there Paul went to be among the people and he started sharing his uh, philosophy and his truth, the real truth. And he started talking with the people about this Jesus who died, the Son of God, and who rose again. And because he rose again, we too have that resurrection. And he was there and he was telling these people about this. And you, as you know, when you share the word of God with people that don't believe, it is beyond comprehension, right? It doesn't always make a lot of sense because everything that we do and teach in the Bible is countercultural. It's different than the way we view things from our sinful nature. It fits with creation. It fits with our world because it's the way God designed it. But the way our world looks like at it, it's upside down. And it was so remarkably different from everything that everybody else was sharing in the city of Athens that he was invited to speak in the Areopagus. Now the Areopagus is a stone hill. It's called Mars Hill. It's not too far away from the Agora. And there is a place where they would meet, the Council of Elders. And because they met there, that the Council of Elders was also then called the Areopagus. That was the Supreme Court of Athens. And Paul was invited to come there and to share and defend the teaching that he was sharing with them. And that's where the story continues as Paul looks at them and he says, or, and he says to them, I notice you folks are very religious. I notice that because as I walk around Athens, I see idols and, or he didn't call them idols, he said, I see statues and altars to various gods and goddesses all throughout. And I also notice that there's one altar that's dedicated to the unknown God. That's the God I want to tell you about today. Now, folks, there's a, a ton of things we can learn from this story. We could go on and we could talk about Paul's very logical and reasonable line of thinking as he talks to the men of Athens and he um, talks with them about this Jesus and how he shares his faith. We could talk about a lot of different things, but today I would like to leave you with a very simple little message. Folks, you and I have been called. You and I have been set out to be on a mission trip. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, that first ascension, looked at his disciples and he said, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Ladies and gentlemen, children, every one of us, you have the Holy Spirit. You have power. When you were baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon you and enveloped you, and he's taken up residence inside of each and every one of us. And our God has sent us on a mission to be able to go out and be his witnesses with passion and with compassion. Let's start with passion. When Paul went into Athens, he was distressed. He was passionately distressed because he looked around and he saw these people who were searching desperately for the truth. So much so that they spent all of their days sitting there talking about what was the truth, debating and trying to figure it out. He saw these people that were living in fear. They were living in fear because they were concerned that maybe, maybe they hadn't quite yet discovered what the truth was. And that's why they established an altar and set up an altar that was to the unknown God. Because they wanted to make sure that they had the truth, but they weren't sure they had it. And in his passion, Paul was moved to action. He went and he talked with them and he shared with them the truth of the triune God, the creator God who is mighty and powerful, but also a God who is just as passionate as he was, if more so, because our God was distressed too when he looked down on earth. And he saw the condition of the world around us, the brokenness and the damage that he saw because of the sin that had invaded the world. A God who was so passionate that he was willing to send his son down to come where we live, to live on earth among us. He looked down on from heaven and he saw this world filled with mankind, the crown of his creation, that were desperate, desperately seeking the truth trying to claw their way to God in some way, shape, or form, trying to find fulfillment in the things of the world that he created rather than seeking it in the, in the form of the creator. And so he came to this earth, and he walked among us. He took our pain and our suffering and our doubt and our, our difficulties, and he put them on his shoulder, our failures, our sin. And he put him on his shoulders and he carried him to the cross. He suffered the punishment and the death that we deserved. And he gave us the promise of the resurrection. That's how passionate our God is for us. I've been reading through this gospel reading all week long, numerous times. And a question keeps coming up in my mind. This is my question. Am I distressed? Am I sufficiently and passionately distressed when I look at the world around me? When I meet my neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ and I talk with some of my extended family members and I wonder whether they really know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, am I distressed? 
do I have enough passion to go out and talk with them about Jesus? Are you? Paul also went to talk to the people in compassion. When he saw these people that were wandering around and, and, and skirting around what was really true, knowing that there's a God out there and wanting to fill that emptiness within, trying to find it by the things that they did and the things that they knew, he had compassion on them. And his compassion came out in two ways. The first one is he went to where they were. He went to where they worshipped. He went to where they did business and where they lived life. He met them where they were, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Physically, he hung out with them. He went to their marketplace. He went to their courts. He went to their um, art events. He went to, their, uh, to have discussions with them in the coffee shops. Emotionally, he related to them. He understood what that emptiness felt like. He understood the fear of wondering whether they really knew the truth. And he talked with them about it. So that, and he shared them with them the truth so that they could have that emptiness filled and the fear dispelled. And he met with them spiritually. He talked with them where they were. And he said, I see that you're religious in so many ways. That's why you have all these temples. That's why you have all these altars. Let me tell you about the unknown God. The true God. This God who also is compassionate. So much so that even though he created you and he set you on this earth in this time and this place, he also loves you and he wants you to live with him forever. And he was willing to die for you. But he also rose for you so that you could rise and live with him forever. Life goes on, folks. And God made it possible through his son Jesus. The United States doesn't have anything over Turkey. I'm distressed to think that our parking lot isn't full. I'm distressed when I look at all these empty seats in our church. I'm distressed to think about all the people in the city of Arvada, and less than 20% of them are gracing the halls of our churches and spending time with God on the Sabbath day. I'm distressed to hear that statistically Christianity is losing ground in our country. I'm distressed to think that Christians have this outward appearance in our world that we're judgmental and that we're separatists and that we don't want to, to rub shoulders with the world around us. So folks, my prayer today is that you and I might be sufficiently distressed and passionate about the gospel. I pray that we will be able to rub shoulders with people and hang out with them and live life and just build relationships with the people of our communities and our neighborhoods and even our own families and to have conversations about this God and that we will be witnesses, faithful to our calling 
relying on the power of the Holy Spirit within us. I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to now. I don't know how many of you noticed my wife is wearing sunglasses. You can call her Hollywood if you want. My mom calls her Jackie after Jacqueline Anassas. Personally, I think she deserves it. She had eye surgery a week ago this last Wednesday. And when our grandson walked in, he's not quite two years old, he took one look at her and he stopped. And, he, and when she said hi to, to Tobin, he crawled up next to her. And he sat down and he put his shoulder, his head on her shoulder, put his fingers in his mouth, and he sat with my wife for about a half hour. That made my wife feel like a million bucks. And not a word was uttered. He was passionate about his grandma. He was full of compassion for his grandma. And all he did was be there for her. That's called ministry of presence. Peter says in our other reading today, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Be passionate about it. But do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Compassionate. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us to be a blessing to the world around us. That you would move us to be passionate and bold witnesses for you. Not afraid to share the word of God with others because we have the power of your Holy Spirit that can, that can go beyond anything that we can hope to do on our own. But Lord, help us to be compassionate, to offer a ministry of presence into the lives of others, to live life with them, and to share your good news with them lovingly and gently and kindly, and with a good conscience. And Lord, may we be both passionate and compassionate as we share your love with others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.